Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today we hear about what soft skills are necessary for an executive chef. Our next guest is a very special guest. I speak with my nephew, Tim Parolik, who is an executive chef at Grand Hyatt Incheon in South Korea. We discuss his unusual path to work as an accomplished chef in several different countries. He answers questions on how rigorous life is working in the food industry and how did he develop his culinary skills to become an international chef? Listen in to find out. Enjoy this episode. One take, Tim. That's, that's, that's what they call me. That's my name. Um, all right. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining me on Relatable. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you uh, in this forum because I feel like even when I know people well, I feel like I always learn something. And uh, I'm just really interested to kind of dive deep into your career and hear more about your path. So for people that are listening, um, this is Tim Parolik, and he's an executive chef at the Grand Hyatt Incheon in South Korea. And Tim is my nephew. So, uh, you know, I've wanted to have Tim on for a while and uh, you're my first chef. So Mm. I feel like it's like from a, as you know, I'm, super interested in helping people to learn about different career paths and help people learn about different professions. And then within that career path, like what are the twists and turns and how have you been able to navigate that? So I feel like for people that might be interested in being a chef or just learning more about that kind of career, this is just a great opportunity. So I really appreciate you being here. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and uh, really excited to get a chance to to speak with you and about the career path I chose and how I got where I got. Cause it's yeah a bit different than others, maybe. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And uh, that's, I think what we're all about is trying to uncover that myth that it's just, Oh, I just, I woke up and I want to be a chef and now I'm a great success. It's not quite <laughs> that easy. So tell me, let's start with what you do now. What's a, what's a typical day in the life of, of an executive chef? I work at a, at a hotel called Grand Hyatt Incheon. We have two towers, 500 rooms. It's quite a large operation. I also do catering for the lounge. The hotel is owned by Korean Air. So we do all the catering for their lounges as well. So at the lounge, we do um, at the moment over 3,000 covers per day. So 3,000 people come into the lounge per day minimum. And we're, we're working up to pre-COVID numbers. So I, I think maybe by the end of this year, we're expecting to be over 4,000 per day. Uh, and then in the hotel operation, I, I um, oversee a restaurant called Restaurant 8. And it has eight different cuisines. There's four kitchens plus a room service kitchen um, and then a deli there. Uh, and then I also oversee the Grand Club operation, two bars, and then banqueting and events within the hotel. And then we also do some some catering, outside catering for, for specialty events. And we also do in-flight catering for like small planes that are flying out of Incheon. I think we're one of the only options that they have to, to do their food catering for them. So we get a lot of that business as well. Um, so at the moment, I have 130 chefs working underneath of me. Um, and I report to the general manager of the hotel. Man. Um, it's a big operation it's not a normal hotel Uh, you you wouldn't have this at every hotel you you work at for sure so it's 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 a much different job than someone who would be at like a boutique hotel or or a smaller hotel or restaurant um i have a very big staff before covid we were at 152 chefs and during the the pandemic we dropped down to 80 or 70 some at our lowest point and then we've built back up to 130 um so that's been a interesting journey as well um that given the scope and how expansive that operation is 
how do you stay creative with respect to all the different type of food that you have to offer? And how much of that is you driving that or given you have a lot of staff and I assume head chefs in, in each of those operations that you spoke of, is it, is it really up to them and they come to you or how does that, well, I think from a creative and a, and just meal uh, idea, you know, I, I imagine that needs to turn over pretty frequently. That's correct. Yes. It's difficult for sure. I mean, I think probably the, the thing that I like most about this hotel in particular is that I get to do everything. So I could be writing a, a fine dining menu that sells at $200, $240 per head at one minute. And, and then I go and I work on the deli menu for sandwiches that sell at $20, you know, or I'm setting up a, a banquet, um, like a buffet setting for 400 people um, the, the next minute. That, that can all happen within three hours. I mean, and then I mean, same 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 day. I could go out to the lounge where where we're doing three thousand covers, and and there, um, we do um, three different lounges, or actually it's six different lounges, but three different levels. So there's the um, like, the the lowest level is called the prestige lounge, and and then there's one that's for million milers, and then there's a first class lounge. So like the prestige is is not so much fun, but it's it's more. Just feed them and street them, basically. Um, so yeah, that that keeps things interesting and and kind of fuels my creativity because um, I'm I'm never really doing the same thing day to day. Uh, sometimes I think if if you just have one restaurant, there's different areas for creativity. Um, but this is quite unique because I get to do so many different things, and you know it's great because I I get to do like sometimes you just want to make like hearty delicious food that people just want to eat. Sometimes you want to go the artsy, artsy fartsy way and, and make really yeah. nice plates and, and yeah. really refine the, the ingredients and in food. And so I get to do it all. And, and that's really fun. I think that's so amazing. I've seen a lot of your, uh, because we're connected on Facebook. So I get to see some of the really cool artistic stuff and like, you know, your snaps of that. So I think it's, it's really wild. So tell me, have you always wanted to be a chef? Is that something you knew at an early age? Uh, tell me about how this came to be for you. Yes and no. Um, I mean, I used to tell stories about how when I was a little kid, I used to cook with with mom in the kitchen and I would make like salt and pepper soup or, or like pizza hot dogs and that kind of stuff, banging pots and pans on the floor in the kitchen. So, I mean, yes, I've always been drawn to the kitchen and cooking and food and ingredients. But I guess when I was in high school, I wanted to be uh, uh, environmental scientist. So I was really interested in biology and chemistry and, and science in general, which has helped me a lot in cooking as well. And I think is also connected to that. So it was kind of the pathway there. Um, but when I was leaving high school, I did make a decision that I wanted to become a chef. And I ended up going to the University of Indiana to get a business degree, which was... <clears throat> in hindsight, maybe not so great a decision, but the idea was that I would get that business degree and then go to culinary school and then I'd have everything I need to open a restaurant. Um, but that didn't really work out. So I ended up stopping school there and starting working at a um, small restaurant in Annapolis after that. Um, and from that point on, I was basically, I've been cooking ever since. Did you, in terms of that shift from leaving school and then starting in Annapolis, was that, and I know it's been a minute now and it's maybe hard to, to reflect back to that. Was that a difficult time? And, you know, with, with all your peers seeming to move forward and maybe know what they're trying to do, you, you know, was that like, tell me a little bit about that period of time and what, how did you get to that restaurant in Annapolis? How did that happen? I, I mean, it was pretty horrible. I, I felt like a huge failure. Um, like I, I, I dropped out, failed out, whatever you want to call from from college. I, I just stopped going to classes basically because I, I hated it and it wasn't wasn't for me. Um, and then I got into some other stuff that I probably shouldn't have. Um, and then I tried to move across the country with one of the guys that I met there. He ended up flaking out, and we didn't have enough money to stay in a stay in a hotel till we could get an apartment. So I ended up, that was a big failure as well. So then I came back to my parents' house and and um, didn't do anything for a little while. 
and then went out to find a job. And actually, I ended up working at a restaurant called Northwoods uh, in Annapolis, which for many, many years was a very high-end restaurant in Annapolis with a very good reputation. And I really owe a lot to that restaurant and that owner because they they taught me a, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I didn't have any experience when I started there. I, I mean, I had some experience washing dishes um, before that and working at a produce stand, but that was it. And they hired me on the spot. It was actually um, kind of funny. I I, um, I had, I think, three interviews that day. I don't remember the other restaurants, actually. But um, before I went to the interviews, I went to the, the record store and I bought some CDs. And I happened to be listening to a Bob Dylan album on the way to the first interview. And there's a line in one of the songs where he goes, I had a job in the great North woods working as a chef for a spell. And I said, <laughs> Oh my God, it's written in the clouds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so oh my I, I, was, I was pretty sure I was going to get that job. And so I, I went in and I interviewed and they gave me the job and, and I knew nothing. So they really taught it me a lot. Well, what was that first job? It, it was a, a Garmage cook. So Garmage is um, a, the cold station, cold prep station. Um, so basically I, I did all the appetizers for the restaurant. Uh, so I was there five days a week. And then there was a bus boy that covered my days off. Uh, and we did did like cold salad, shucked oysters, um, a couple hot appetizers. Uh, it, the restaurant was northern italian and some some southern french kind of mixed cuisine so it, it was a great place to learn because there was a lot of good technique there and you know i, I really learned basics there like knife skills and organization and and how to move in a kitchen and and how to to work really i mean that, that was like i don't know my third or fourth job ever right um, so Go, I was go just going to ask, when, when you got there and you started doing that, did you feel immediately like it connected and you're like, oh, like in terms of being in the kitchen in that way and then feeling like, oh, this is, this feels right. Not cooking. I would say, I mean, in high school and school, I'd always kind of been oddball out, wasn't so popular. I didn't really fit in. At least I felt that way. And kitchens are notorious for people like me to be drawn to because mm -hmm. as long as you go in and you work hard and you do your best, you're pretty much accepted and you, you become part of the team and you become part of something and it, it feels really great. There's a great feeling to that. And then on top of that, especially when you're starting, cooking is difficult and it, it's stressful and you have to do things very quickly. So there's a big, big adrenaline rush and you kind of get hooked to that adrenaline rush. And, and a lot of times that's what drives people for the first, first few years is, is kind of that feeling of acceptance and, and also that, that adrenaline rush. So I would say in the beginning, I found like the actual act of cooking didn't come so naturally. It was, it was very difficult. I, I liked the kind of romance behind it of working nights hard on the line with the fellas you know like that's what I liked there yeah. and, and, and fitting in and like the guys who were there they were like I mean there was one guy um who he, he called himself the asshole and he was known throughout Annapolis as, as kind of this skeevy guy who you could get stuff from if you needed something and he knew everybody in town everybody in all the kitchens and he would kind of take me around and at that time I, I was underage so he was getting me into bars as well so it, it was it was a different kind of time so it wasn't really the cooking that that much but I did enjoy it and um, I started making specials on my own with him actually that particular cook he would work with me and, and say you know you come up with a special tonight you Russell has these books. You read these books. You find a recipe. You make it. You pick it. You make it. You do it. And and so I would do a special, and he was always really supportive. And there was also a sous chef there who was really supportive as well. The owner too, um, whose who, his name was Russell Brown. He's he's still cooking in in Annapolis, I believe. He's a very talented chef, uh, but he was very supportive as well. Um, so everybody there kind of was. 
Have you ever been back? Like, have you been back to see them when you've been back in the States or have you ever kind of checked in with them to, to let them know what an impact they made? Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. Not in years, no. Yeah. Um, I reached out to uh, Russell Brown when I first moved to Korea because I needed a letter from him saying that I worked at Northwoods. Um, but I think actually mom got in touch with him. I don't think I actually talked to him, but no. Well, it's, now they know. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to make sure they listen. Uh, okay. So then how long were you there before you went to your next opportunity? And what was that? I think, I don't think I worked there for more than about a year because I was living at home, um, which was a drag coming back from university. Uh, and and it yeah. just it wasn't wasn't so nice. So I, I ended up moving to Salisbury after that because um, I had a lot of friends going to Salisbury University. So I ended up living on um, some of my friends' couch. So they had an apartment um, with four guys in it, and I moved in on the couch. I paid the bills, and I got a job in Ocean City. And that was kind of a, a difficult time getting moved in there. But once I got up and running there, I got this job at this. I was really excited to work for this chef. Um, so I got hired and I thought the chef was going to be really good. And I, it was like two weeks before my first day. And, and by the time I started, the guy was fired. Um, oh. So when I started, the sous chef had taken over. And that was another interesting experience. I, I learned at that restaurant how to teach myself, basically, because I, I guess after about the first three months, the sous chef, he was never in the kitchen. Uh, and people started resigning. It was me and maybe one other guy for a while. Uh, and then after that, it was just me for a number of months. I would come in, do all the, the mise en place for the whole line and, and make specials and cook for anybody who came in. Sous chef would come and pop his head in. You okay, Tim? And then he'd leave. And so I was just doing everything. <laughs> wow. And so is that nerve wracking? Is that, you know, is that kind of where you built a lot of confidence do you think when you're kind of the you're just put in that situation you have to just do it I, I guess so I, I mean what happened there is the business owners they didn't really seem to care so much about the business and I got laid off from work there so they ended up going out of business um so <laughs> I wonder why uh because you have a 19 year old running the kitchen and anyway um so I, I think that's really was my takeaway from that is how easy you could end up on the street without a job and how important it was to manage the restaurant restaurant properly and, and why restaurants fail and going through that experience of of they they came to me one day so I was the last cook it was me the restaurant manager and the sous chef we were the only three people left for the restaurant and the bar and they closed the restaurant so I was just working in the bar at that time and and then one day the the manager came in and and with this I think it was both of them and they said listen we'd like you to um go on unemployment for a few months we got to close down we're going to open back up just hang on we'll call you in about three months and, and we'll get your job back so I was like uh, naive and stupid so I was like okay and I tried to go on unemployment, but I couldn't get any money. So yeah. after about two weeks, I started looking for another job. And, and that's when I started working for Hyatt. Ah, okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. Was that the uh, Chesapeake Hyatt? Was that first? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, so I got a job at the Chesapeake Hyatt as an entry-level cook. I worked there for about four years. And I worked my way up from, uh, from entry-level to uh, supervisor. Uh, so I started in Water's Edge was the name of the restaurant, um, which is still there. It's a wonderful restaurant, beautiful restaurant. Uh, and I think I got really lucky because that hotel in particular had a, a lot of very talented chefs. The, the executive chef at the time, his name's Tony Breeze. He's retired now, but he worked in Dubai. He, he's originally from Wales. 
He worked in Dubai, San Francisco, all, all over the place for some really talented chefs. And he had really good culinary background. So I, I learned a lot from him. And then um, the executive sous chef, Michael Wilkes, he worked really closely with me and we kind of became friends. We're still friends. Uh, and he really taught me a lot um, about how to, how to be a not just like a good cook and a good chef, but a good person and a good employee and, and a manager and how to live life, really. He, he's, he's a really great guy. It's interesting, too. I feel like as you're talking about this and you had these experiences before you got there, like it seems like there's a lot of points in which you could have been like, forget this, you know, but it, like you actually kind of stuck it out and then I mean, it seemed like that's that's a good few years before you actually were at a place where it felt like, you know, where you stayed for four years and then you got that kind of mentorship. So I think there's something to be said around kind of that resilience or <laughs> perseverance to to kind of get to the point where then it seems like that's where it really almost in a way started for you. But you couldn't have gotten that opportunity had you not done the other things. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. I think a big part of it was big part of it has been driven from me failing out of school, especially during those times. And, and then that restaurant in Ocean City closing, I, I really felt, I mean, in both of those situations, I felt a lot like a failure. And mm -hmm. so I, I didn't want, like, I didn't want to be a failure, obviously. I, I, I wanted to do anything to not be a failure. So to give up cooking would have been another failure. So I just, I had to keep going. You know, yeah. is, is, I, I don't, it's kind of a, two difficult situations, but they 100% shaped who I am now. And, and without those experiences, I don't think I would be as, access, as successful as I was now, as I am now. And I, and I don't think, I probably wouldn't have sticked with cooking either. I think definitely that was a big reason why I stuck with it. But also I think when I was at, when I was in Ocean City, I guess when I was in Northwoods, I got in the habit of buying cookbooks and reading them. Uh, and the cooks there also like at that time when I was in Northwoods, um, Anthony Bourdain's book came out and the cooks who were there introduced me to that. Uh, and that for, for anybody who was, a, who was a cook in that time, that book was like like the ultimate. It was like the, yeah. the rally cry. It was like, this is who we are. This is this guy's got it pegged. This is this. Is, he's my God. I, I strive to be this man. Right. And it started with his book and then we, we all followed his shows and everything. He, he was such a, a crazy guy. Um, and then um, after that, I really started buying books. Like I, I would buy books every month, every couple months and like cookbooks, books about food, books about cooking, whatever I could get my hands on uh, biographies about chefs, whatever. And I would just read them um, cover to cover. And so I think when I got to ocean city, I, ended up picking up the French laundry by Thomas Keller. And I had, because people left me alone in the kitchen, I just started cooking every recipe in that book one at a time. I started with the things that were interesting to me. Like I, I think he had a chapter on powders and I was really interested in making powders. So I started with that. And then I made the dishes that he used the powders in and I just snowballed and snowballed. And that's when I really, started to develop a love for cooking and, and, and a real interest in it. Like that, that was kind of the turning point there. So when I went to Hyatt Regency Chesapeake, it was like a amazing moment. Like, wow, look how big these kitchens are. And these guys really know what they're doing and everything's done the right way. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's crazy. I, I, I was so lost in it and I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And I remember um, learning a lot from Tony Breeze and thinking, I don't know how this guy knows so much about food and cooking and running a restaurant, running a business. He just, he knows everything. And I, I remember thinking, I will never know so much. I will never be able to reach it to that, reach yeah. to that, to that level. <laughs> and then, I mean, recently I was thinking about that and like, well, well I'm, I'm an executive chef now. How, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> I love, you know what I love, Tim, just, I love the, um, there's so much about it that I feel like is so relatable, not to be corny, but I feel like the idea that like you, 
like, you know, obviously there's like what, what propelled you to do it and to kind of stay with it. But then the idea that like you, you then became naturally curious and then learned as much as you could. And that piece of like anything that people do, whatever you pick, the idea of becoming a really good practitioner at that thing, whatever that means, and taking the time to do that, like to your point around getting the books or reading as much as you could or watching as much as you could, or like you didn't go to formal training in terms of a culinary school, but you like found a way to either learn from the people around you or to then like be resourceful. And I feel like that's such a good message for anybody, depending on what you're trying to pursue. Because I think none of it happens if you don't put the work in <laughs> to some extent. And that's hard when you're 19 or 20 and you're maybe not as motivated and you can't really see long ter term what that could look like for you. Um, so I just feel like that, that I really appreciate you sharing all that because I think it, it really um, resonates. And I think it's such great, you know, oh, it's a great story to say, look, yeah, to, to be in that spot and be like, that's never going to be me. How does that, how could that ever be? And now you're running this massive operation. It's, it's really, and like, how does that kind of land with you now? Like, does that, as someone who's sort of struggled with thinking like, God, I'm just a failure and a fraud. Like, are you able to kind of really feel that and, and kind of be like, man, I, you know, I've arrived in some ways. I mean, there's been, there's been moments I think yeah. where I felt that, but I, I would say for the first three years, at least as an executive chef and, and, and still now I'm like, am, am I qualified to do this? Is, am, why the hell did they hire me? Why are they paying me? <laughs> and we call um, that imposter syndrome in, yeah, the, yeah. in the like corporate world sometimes just feeling I'm like, like you're in a job. Yeah. 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 I'm aware of imposter syndrome for sure. But then, then there were things that happened that kind of drive home. Oh yeah, I, I am supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, but I think um, I've gotten over that to an extent. I think it, it's, it was really detrimental the first two or three years because I, I was almost scared sometimes to run the kitchen the way I wanted. I thought I should, because I, people are always telling you, Oh, you have to do this. You have to do that. Blah, 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 blah. You know? And, and, yeah, they maybe have more managerial experience than you. So you listen to them, but then you realize, you know, it's not working. I got to do it my own way. So yeah, I think that's an interesting thing to go from being a practitioner and being very good and being promoted along the way. And now to be a supervisor and those are different skill sets. I, I imagine. A hundred percent. I would say, it, it's funny. I worked for a, a chef at, at Incheon before I was. So when I first came to Incheon, I was a, a chef to cuisine. So I was just in charge of restaurant eight. And then I, I was promoted to executive Sue. And then I got my first job as executive chef at the, at a Hyatt in Philadelphia um, called the Bellevue hotel. But when I was chef to cuisine and the, the guy who promoted me to exec Sue is he was, he's an Italian chef. His name is Mattele Spartellini. When I was leaving to go to Philadelphia, he, he was telling me, you know, if you were exec chef here, you would be bored. It's it's too boring for you. You need to be in the kitchen. This is going to be an easy job for you. Don't worry about it. And I was like, really? I don't know about that. Anyway, but I would say um, so I was I worked in Philadelphia for two years and then I came back to Incheon um, and I would say maybe the two years in Philadelphia and the first two years in Incheon have probably been the four hardest years of my career. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I felt like I was just thrown to the wolves and it was just totally different than the rest of my career. It was, it's probably the one time where I haven't excelled. Like throughout my whole culinary career, I've always been the guy who's, who gets the promotion first, who gets, gets to do the special projects who, who moves up the quickest. And then I, I hit this position and I suddenly turned into the guy who, who's not performing. Uh, and so I, I think that's been really difficult. And it, it's weird because I've run the kitchens fine, right? <laughs> the cooks and the kitchens, they're all fine. It's the other stuff that you have to do with, with the rest of the hotel and, and, and everybody else that I'm horrible at, but not so much now. I, I've gotten better, thank goodness. Um, but 
it, it was a, a very steep learning curve for me. So uh, it was really difficult. And, and Mattel, couldn't have been farther from from what happened. <laughs> 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 Got to give him a call, baby. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's another thing. Like we, I interviewed a, a surgeon the other day and, and he has his own, he's in a practice, you know, now, and we were talking about running a business and being a doctor. And it seems very similar. Like there's the discipline of being a chef and what's required to do the job that you're trying to do in terms of mm. people. And then the business side of that, and and if you're not like if you don't have your MBA, right, and you haven't been through that kind of education, you know that's that's a I can see where that is challenging, and then mm. trying to kind of learn that while doing, um, and be where you are, which is like such a significant operation, you know, like to your point around how many different sort of balls you're juggling, <laughs> and trying to do that plus you know, learn those executive leadership skills, which is, is different, yes. you know, it's a different yeah. type of sure. Tell totally me just, a, tell me a little bit about your, um, your like path, maybe not, you don't have to go place by place, but just in terms of navigating traveling so much. So did you like, like you've, you've been, um, you know, you've mentioned Korea. Um, I know you were in Curacao. Did you, are you someone that likes the traveling that like you, when you thought about a career, you you thought like, man, I want to be able to kind of see the world or is it, tell me a little bit about that path of, of, of being, you know, having to up and move so often and what that's been like. I always, I always wanted to travel and I, I've always been interested in Asia in particular. It was, I always wanted, especially Japan and, and Korea, China, I, I was interested in seeing and, and exploring. Um, so when I, when I started at the Hyatt Regency Chesapeake, the executive chef there, I mean, he, he really was a, a great mentor to me and a great guy. And like, I was an entry-level cook when I started and he's, he pulled me into his office the first day I started and he asked me, you know, what, what do I want to do? What, what am I interested in? And so I told him I, I wanted to become, I, I wanted to travel, you know, I, I wanted to go to Asia. I wanted to move around and, and learn as much as possible. And, and that's basically my goal. And he remembered that, which I find incredible because he had, he had a huge team and there was a lot of turnover and he, he didn't have to like, <laughs> it's no reason for him to, because, uh, but after I was there for like four years, he came to me one day and he said, Tim, you told me one time you want to travel. So I have your next position. It's in Washington, DC. This is going to be your jumping platform. You go to the park Hyatt, then you can transfer out of the country. And I said, thanks. Thank you. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm there. So I went and, and applied at the Park Hyatt in Washington, D.C. And, and ended up. So I was a supervisor at Chesapeake and I took a demotion uh, back to just a, a regular line cook to go to the Park Hyatt in D.C. And, and I think that was that was one of the best decisions I've ever made, because walking into that kitchen and that hotel was it was a, a whole nother awakening for me, like the level of cooking that went on at that hotel was hundreds of times higher than I was doing in, in Chesapeake. Like the level was just so much higher. It, it was, I, I didn't realize how much different it was going to be. It was, it was a shock. It was crazy. It was so exciting and so much fun. Um, and that was, was probably that that's probably like, if if you think back, like what was your favorite job or the favorite your favorite time in your career? I think those years were probably my favorite. Uh, like learning, I learned so much there, and we were working so hard, and it was just a great team, and everybody really cared and and really wanted to make that restaurant great, and and it was just such an amazing experience. So and, and he was right. I was there for. Um, three or four years, three to four years. And same thing the the executive chef there came to me and said, you want to, you want to go international? Um, come meet this guy. He's in for dinner tonight. He's opening a hotel in Curacao. I want you to sit down and talk to him. So that's how I got chef cuisine in, in Curacao as well. It's kind of amazing. You've had these people that have taken such an interest in your mm -hmm. 
development and your like I, it's in as you've talked I mean almost more than anyone I've talked to in four years I feel like you've had such like people that have really like shepherded and like helped you um and maybe that's part of your industry like maybe that I, I don't know if that's more common given like the apprenticeship model of of being a chef where you're you know that's it's maybe in the in the movement but it just seems like if it is that way in that in that career path, like that's really nice, you know, that you've got that kind of people looking out for you and and like the other opportunities that you can constantly move and grow. And I think that, you know, those hotels, like even the Chesapeake, uh, at least because we're, you know, local, like Chesapeake has such a great reputation and people from like all over the DMV, you know, go there for, you know, rest and relaxation and the good food. And then similarly, like Park Hyatt in DC, like they have a great reputation. So to be, I think in those environments, to your point, I was curious too, when you said the, the level of cooking was so different, what is it that makes the level different? Like, what is it that you, when you said you were kind of blown away, what makes it higher end or what makes that experience like a higher caliber? We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. So, I mean, I, I, it definitely comes down to details and techniques. And, and I think there's there's different schools of cooking. There's different people follow different different trends, I, I guess. And Park Hyatt, the cooking we were doing, at least when I was there, it, it was everything we did needed to have a purpose and everything we did needed to follow the, the goal of the restaurant and, and the overall vision and every like every single detail the first chef i worked with so i mean chef brian mcbride he, he was executive chef and then um mark hellier was the, the chef de cuisine and both are amazingly amazingly talented chefs I, I don't know how i got so lucky to work with them actually i'm I, i'm serious the first i think three Hyatts I worked with, I, I've worked with, I, I couldn't have gotten luckier. I couldn't have worked with better chefs. I, I can't imagine how I could have. Anyway, <laughs> Park Hyatt, we looked at every detail from the the seed, the farm that the ingredient was grown on to how we prepped each vegetable, every single detail from the, the very beginning to the food going on the plate to it going to the customer, the customer eating experience, everything was reviewed and torn apart and rethought and done again. And it was just always that process. And I would say we were one of the first real farm to table restaurants in DC. And it was mm -hmm. also like, we used a lot of very classic techniques. Um, like when you think about cooking has changed. So it's this is kind of difficult for me to explain but when i started cooking like there was no sous vide there was there was no not really paco jets we, di we didn't have all this fancy equipment and molecular gastronomy and all that it didn't exist yet it, it was just starting so it was all the old school uh techniques and so when i started at the park in dc that stuff was starting to come become really popular the molecular gastronomy was starting to come in and we used they the so the and the chefs that i worked with there they had very refined classic techniques so like we would turn potatoes and and make bechamels and 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 uh, uh demi-glace and and all that kind of stuff in the classic way which is very labor intensive and very difficult. I mean, I don't think I've worked at a restaurant since where at that restaurant, we, we made uh, veal demi-glace, chicken demi-glace, duck demi-glace, pork demi-glace. You, you don't do that anywhere else. The executive mm. chef there, Brian McBride, he, he made that happen. He built that up from the ground when he, when he started Melrose and he enabled us to be able to do that. So it was like really 
we did everything. We butchered everything from scratch. We we made all the sauces from scratch, absolutely everything. And then we we had an amazing chef at the beginning um, who was a sous chef by the name of Vache. Um, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, which I'm quite sad about. But he he was he's known in Washington D.C. as as kind of like the guy. He he was the guy you hired to do your charcuterie program. So if you don't if you don't know what charcuterie is, it's um, salting and curing to preserve meats and, and seafood and, and poultry. Um, so like pâtés and um, pâtés, sausages, uh, uh, rillettes, all, all all this kind of stuff where you're curing the meat and and oh, terrines. He he did all this kind of stuff. He he actually he taught me in particular, how to make a lot of it. Um, and, and that kind of stuff is extremely labor intensive and difficult. And, and also I was, I don't know how I got so lucky for, to have him teach me as well, but he, yeah. he, he, I mean, he told me, and I don't know if it's true, right. But he told me that his mentor, the chef that trained him was Escoffier's sous chef. So I don't know if you know anything about chefs and cooking, but Escoffier is like, the father of modern cuisine he's he, uh, he is what started he's he's what started everything basically <laughs> um so if if that's true then i, I mean I, I couldn't have gotten luckier quite honestly and i i believe it because he his his food is amazing his was amazing his, his sausages and and terrines and he taught me how to make galantines and valentines and, and all the classic french french techniques um so he that guy he, he never took a day off even on his yeah. days off, he would come to work and he would cut his terrines. He would he would do jobs for for the galantines and stuff. Because when you're making pates and galantines and stuff in the classic way, there's something to do every day. Like mm. the, if you're making galantines, the ducks come in the first day. You 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 uh, clean them and and maybe hang them. Um, and then the next day you butcher your ducks and you cure the meat and the, the meat's got to cure overnight. And then the next day you're grinding and making your farce. Um, and then the farce has to sit overnight for the air to come out. Then the next day you're, you're uh, rolling the meat, uh, maybe actually doing your garnish and then rolling the meat in the skin. Uh, and then generally you, you let it rest again overnight. And then the next day you cook the galantine Then it's got to be cooled properly and, and pressed. And, and then, you slice it and you can serve it. So it, it's it's five or six day process to do it the right way. You you can do it faster than that, but to really do it the right way, you have to do that. So he did everything the right way, and he wouldn't teach you the full process from start to beginning. <laughs> he would only teach you parts here and there. So and and then if you asked him, he he would say, oh, "Give me some of this, huh?" <laughs> so um, I tried to work with him as much as I could over the the time I was there with him. So that I could get all every single part. Yeah. There were some things that he he never taught me, and when he left, um, I kind of took over the the pates and galantines for the last maybe few months I was there, or, or the few for a little while. And there was stuff I had to figure out after he left, um, which I ended up doing. So that yeah. was also maybe his last lesson to me before he left. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, just, like as you're talking, like the the amount of patience and the respect for details and for um, to when you talk about being labor intensive, like it seems like to do what you do and to do it well, like you need to have that level of like patience and interest in the end product being mm. the best version of that product it can be, you know, like mm. to your point around, like, tell me then just about like with the first time you went internationally and then was that like a shock to the system or did it feel like, you know, when you went to Curacao, like, was that as exciting as you thought it was going to be when you, you know, in terms of being able to finally go overseas? Curacao wasn't so big of a shock. I think I kind of knew what to expect to a certain degree. Um, it, it was hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard that. And yeah. like, I, I mean, I had, like I said, I've, I've had a lot of good mentors um, and one of them, um, Mikey Wilkes, who I talked about earlier. So w when I went to the park, he ended up uh, getting a job as exec sue at, I think, um, Grand Hyatt, Washington, D.C. I, I don't remember if it was Grand or the Regency. I, I guess it was the Grand. Anyway, so and he, he had a, um, 
girlfriend who lived in Cambridge. So they had bought a house in Cambridge. Uh, so he just wanted a place to stay in DC. So he ended up crashing at my place most of the time. So he would come stay with me for four or five days and then go back to, to his uh, girlfriend on the weekend. And so when I got the job going to Curacao, he, he walked me through it beforehand pretty much because he'd worked in Maui and um, some other places, I think around in the islands as well. Uh, and so, you know, he, he was the first one to tell me about um, island time and how to work with locals and, and all that kind of stuff. And then when I got down to Curacao as well, the executive chef there, his name is John Pivar. Um, also a big, and, and that's my, that was my next mentor. He, he also helped a lot and he, he was a great boss, great manager as well. He, he was the first, I would say he's the first chef I worked with who was really a great manager. Like the guys that I worked with in DC and, and, and in Chesapeake, they, they were chefs. They, they were there about cooking. They were about running a kitchen, but uh, I would say John Pivar, like he's a manager. He built the team. He, pushed teamwork. He, he taught us how to, how to, how to run our kitchens. He was a really, he's really a great manager. Um, and it was a great experience working with him, but I, I also, that was my first time as a chef de cuisine. So it was my first time running a kitchen and I came in it from the park thinking again, you know, like I'm the best. My food is going to be the top. I don't care what these people say. We're going to do it my way. We're going to do it right. We're going to do it no matter what. And, um, and that, that kind of worked. It kind of didn't. But <laughs> I think the food we produced, I, I, I was uh, chef de cuisine for a restaurant called Shore at, at Hyatt Regency Curacao. And the food we, we produced there was was great. And, and the team that we built there was fantastic. Um, and and, and I, I've kept in, in touch with a lot of those people that I worked with there. So that, that's been great as well. Um, and that's where I met my wife. So, yeah. Yeah, that that hotel holds a, a sweet spot in my heart, as it yeah, were. <laughs> for sure. And now that you're in the position that you're in, I, you know, are you finding that you have the opportunity now to pay it forward in terms of now once you've been in leadership roles to help people that are now kind of where you were 20 years ago? 25? I try. Yeah, for sure. I try to do my best. Um since I've been in Incha and I, I got, we, we moved the exec Sioux to Grand Hyatt Seoul. Um, I had, I promoted quite a few people up through till chef to cuisine. Um, I have chefs that I trained working at the Andas in Seoul at Andas Grand Hyatt. Yeah. At Andas and Grand Hyatt basically as chef to cuisines there and, and exec Sioux. So that, that's been, that's really fun to see as well. Um, the yeah. guys in Curacao is, is, is was more difficult because of visas and that kind of thing. So they've kind of all gone on their own ways. I, it was difficult to help them, but um, I, you know, I, I taught them as much as I could and, and, and trained them as much as I could. And if anybody ever called me afterwards or needed something or needed help, I tried to help as much as I could as well. So, yeah. and I mean, like I said, I still talk to them and still make sure they're okay. There's a few of them who are, who are still trying to get to work with me again, but it's never really worked out. And, Hopefully one day again, we'll, we'll get to work together. We'll see. Yeah. So tell me, um, one of the things that I like to chat with people about, and you may have covered it already. I'm just, you know, you've had so many interesting experiences that have led you to this point. Um, certainly professionally, we've talked a lot about that, but I'm interested in, you know, from your either personal journey or even professional, was there something or someone because you did just talk about several mentors, but that really made such an impact or a situation that really kind of shape-shifted, right, for you or changed your path or had an impact on you that you still carry now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Many, I would say. Um, I mean, definitely there's three chefs that I work with at the park, uh, Mark Hellier and, uh, chef Michael and, 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 um, and chef McBride, um, just their passion and, and knowledge and everything they did have shaped who I am for sure. I, I mean, especially, especially Mark, I, I hope he doesn't watch this, but <laughs> he really pushed me 
to be better than I ever thought I could be. He he never stopped pushing. He never he never stopped. I don't know if that's because he wanted to see me do well or he just wanted to pick a fight, but it definitely worked. Whatever whatever the, the, his motivation was, it, it worked for sure. And I, I certainly owe him a lot um, because again, like when I started at the park, I took a demotion so I was a line cook and by the time I left I was senior sous chef uh and so that that was mostly because of him really believing in me and and pushing me to be better I I would say there's you know when I was at the park again I I never wanted to be executive chef at that point I I didn't want to be an executive chef when they asked me to be a sous chef I said well are you are you serious really why do you want me to be a sous chef I just want to cook you know, yeah. and, and then um, when when uh, Brian McBride pulled me aside and, and said, I want you to talk to this guy, it's time time for you to move on to the next position. He's got a chef's cuisine position open in Curacao and go talk to him um, again. I was like, are you are you sure? I'm, like, I can't run a kitchen. That's I, I'm just I just cook, man. That's that's what I do. I just cook. Um, and that's what I want to do. That's that's all I wanted to do. Right. I, like, I, I want to be clear when I started cooking. You, you know me. I didn't want to work in an office. I didn't want to do a nine to five job. I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to be on my feet. I wanted to, to work with my hands. And so I, I was always kind of surprised when people wanted to promote me because like, you know, especially back then, I wasn't a people person. I, I, I was not what I would call manager material. Like I stood on my station and worked for 12 hours with food and cleaned and cooked. Right. Um, So when I was in Curacao, uh, I worked with, so I was chef de cuisine at shore and then the chef de cuisine at the other restaurant, um, Medi, his name was Stefan Rinch. Uh, He's a German, German guy. um, And we were, we ended up being roommates. Uh, So we lived together and we were the two chef de cuisines at the restaurant Um, and a great guy as well. Um, really nice guy. He was a great colleague to have, great roommate to have. We had a, a, a lot of late nights drinking beers and listening to German death metal together. It was a fantastic time. Um, but at, at one time he came to me and he said, um, I'm looking for my next position. I got an opportunity for exec Sue. And I looked at him and, and I said, why do you want to do that? You want to be exec chef? I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to stay cooking. I, I don't want to do that. And he, and he looked at me and he looked at me in the eyes and he said, you really want to do this the rest of your life. When you're 50 years old, you want to be doing this in the kitchen, cleaning, cleaning drains and, and cooking like this. And at that moment I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. But I never stopped thinking about that. So <laughs> when I came to Incheon the first time, the chef, one the Metele, at one time he he would he would talk to me about my my future and being exec chef and exec sous and you know at a certain point that thing that Stefan said clicked and I just said yeah you're right let's go take the next position so I think yeah, and I I think a thing about that too is you don't always know like when you don't know something, right? Like to that point, you knew exactly what a line chef would be doing. Like there's no mystery anymore, at least given your experience. So now it's like looking into a abyss of like, I don't know what that is. And I don't know if I'll be good at it. And I don't, right. And there's, so there, and I think that's relatable too, in terms of like, um, it's true. the fear of maybe not knowing what's ahead. And then also with that comes, you don't know how great it could be or what that could afford you, right. In terms of other mm. opportunities or what the impact or who you might meet doing that. You know, I think things that you can kind of benefit from when we talk about uh, cooking and being a chef and, you know, you you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I am curious um, from a soft skills perspective and maybe even, you know, because, because you mentioned it and I appreciate it. Like, I think there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily people, people, right. That don't Mm. like, necessarily like people or not that you don't like people right but you're just like more insular or you know you have your kind of core people and that works for you like how what are some of the soft skills that um, you think 
have helped you be successful in your career when you think about as a chef and by soft skills, you know, I'm, it's obviously there's a lot of technical skill to what you do. I'm thinking about the other things that augment that, right. In terms of like the teamwork, the collaboration, you know, communication, that kind of stuff. So for you personally, like, what do you think are one or two that have been critical to your success? I think what makes you successful, soft skills that make you successful as a line cook, sous chef are different than what you need to be an executive chef, chef de cuisine, executive sous chef. So I think when I started cooking, I was just able to, I think what was different about me compared to other people is I didn't have any pretense. I didn't think highly of myself. So I was able to look at what everybody else was doing and learn from anybody. I didn't have to wait for the sous chef to come and teach me. I could watch the cook next to me and learn how to make a dish or learn how to read a, a ticket or, 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 you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't have some, some people I've worked with or, or worked for me. They, they never advance by themselves. They, they stay until you come and push them or you teach them or do something. So I was always like I set myself up first. I learned my stuff first. And then I was always looking for the next, the next thing and, and looking at what other people were doing. And it, it does it also something that I've always been able to do, which I think is, is kind of rare as well, is I've been able, I can, I can look at somebody and, and whether they can cook better from, than me or, or they don't cook as well as me, I can learn from them. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I can, yeah. even the guys that weren't doing it right, I can look at you and say, Oh, you know, I can, I can learn from what you're not doing right. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was always, always a good skill. And, and then, I mean, I, I guess like what made me really successful at the park is that I could keep my mouth shut. So when the chef's yelling at me for, <laughs> for the whole night, trying to rile me up, I could just say, yes, chef, yes, chef, yes, chef. And then after work, take my anger and frustration out elsewhere, which isn't always so healthy, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Uh, yeah. And then I think what's really important, whether you're a employee or intermediate manager or executive chef or leadership, whatever, I think what's really important is is managing up. I think that's that's such an important skill because there's so many people that they just do their job and they don't think about what the boss is doing, what what their supervisor is doing, what what challenges they have, what makes their job hard. And so they, they never really make a bond with that person. And, and then they never, they, they miss their opportunities. I, and I think that's, I mean, you've heard me go on and on about how many mentors I've had and, and how much I've learned from each chef at, at each restaurant. It's because I always looked at them and saw what they were doing and tried to do stuff to help them, to, to make their lives easier not to make their lives harder or to make mine better. Like, there's so many cooks I work with, especially in, in the U.S., especially, that they just want to come to work, do their job, and go home. And when the chef tries to get them to do something else or to teach them something or to get them to, to work harder, they see it as an attack, as, man, why are you messing with me? I just want to do my job and go home. That kind of attitude is that gets you nowhere. So if you're ready to accept direction from the chef and you're looking to see how you can help him how you can make his life easier then he's going to teach you more you're going to learn more you're going to get ahead quicker it's it's, it's simple right it, and yeah. i but the strange thing is is like i never wanted to get ahead i just did that instinctually i, I don't know why I just did it but i mean i you um i feel like you've hit on something that's so true it transcends across any job or for profession it is the, there's two things that you talked about that I think are so true and, and they manifest in different ways depending the level that you are, which is one, that being insatiably curious and trying to figure out the most that you can about the thing that you're trying to do and then applying it. Mm. Like that's just, and then the other, which I love, it's like from a managing up perspective, it is so true. The 
the most successful people I know, the success that I found, the success that you're describing is being able to understand what someone needs that's, you know, senior to you and making their life easier. Like it is just, and it's such a basic premise of like, of course, if you make my life easier and I'm your boss, like I'm going to look out for you because you're, you know, it's, it's, I don't know that it's an ego thing, but it's just, it translates so easily to be like, oh, this guy gets it. This guy sees what, what, what needs to be done and is doing it. This, you know, so I, I think those are such great observations and insight. And I love how it applies to, to a career and being a chef, because I think, you know, some might think, oh, it's so different, but I think, you know, some of those tenants are the same. All right. I know we're sort of at time. I just, the other thing I wanted to ask you, and I'm super curious, like when you think about young Tim and you think about, you know, kind of being back, you know, after school and that not working out and you kind of look at where you are now, is there any advice that you'd give him that would have made the path a little bit easier or something that would have sort of helped him along the way that you've learned? <laughs> um, before I get Besides into that, spending I, I, more time with your auntie. <laughs> yeah, spend lots of time with your auntie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before I get into that, I would like to say one thing about myself. When I became executive chef and I think I made a huge mistake, actually, especially talking about it now. Like I, I forgot about what, well, I didn't forget. I, I thought it wasn't, I didn't need to do it anymore. You know, I, when I became executive chef, I, I did kind of get, let my ego get away from me. And I think that's why I had difficulty for, for some time um, because I got to a point and I, my feeling when I was executive chef, right. So uh, the way Hyatt is structured is, the LC committee are all on the same level under the general manager. So the director of engineering, the director of human resources, the director of sales and marketing, uh, the director of food and beverage, executive chef, all basically on the same level. But from my perspective, if I'm running a business, right, I would be hiring a director of human resources. I would be hiring a director of sales and marketing to market my restaurant or to manage my resources, my, my staff, right, to help me with that. So when I became executive chef kind of naively, my instinct was to lean on them to support me to, to do what I want. Right. And they didn't like that very much. So that didn't work very well. <laughs> you know, so um, I think that was one of my big mistakes and something that I, I had to, to learn for sure is that in this environment, especially my job as executive chef is more to work together with those people to make my employee's job easy. You know what I mean? Is, is, is to build connections with those people so that we can get what we need and get our jobs done and to support them as much as they support me, no matter how I think the business should run. <laughs> I have to, you have to work within those constraints. And that that's, I guess that's always been a little bit an issue that I have and something I would tell my, my younger self is to, to pick your battles and to work within the constraints that you're given and not to always rebel against, against everything. <laughs> well, you know, it's so interesting because it's a dichotomy between like being what you described around being so humble in the kitchen with respect to like learning from everybody. And then at the same time, there's an ego play. Um, so it's like, if you deem it right, it's like, that's, that's where I think the ego comes in. So like you told mm -hmm. yourself from a curiosity, like, Oh, I, this, this works. I want to learn as much as I can in this way. I know more than you. Right. And so I think yeah. that's like, all of us maybe have that little, you know, that voice in there. That's like, you have to kind of balance against like, you know, what you're being asked to do and what like you're put in a position to have a certain level of confidence to know what you're supposed to do. And then where does that humility come in at this level? Right. Like how right. do you right. do that? In? Yes. But, uh, you are awesome. I loved chatting with you and hearing about some of the details. And um, I really just appreciate how open you are too, like just with your own vulnerability and like what the path's been like. So thank you. And it's so late there. And I just, 
you know, I really appreciate you making the time. So thank you so much for being on. No problem. It was fun. Thank you, Tim, for coming on the show and for being such an awesome guest. I know I'm biased, but I loved hearing more about your journey to becoming an executive chef. I appreciate how you took it upon yourself to learn everything you could to further and improve your skills. And I loved hearing about your thoughts on failure and showing real vulnerability about how it motivated you and how one of your esteemed mentors asked you a question that changed your career trajectory. Did you always want to be the one cooking? Or would you like to lead and manage others and help their development? To our relatable community, Tim's episode will wrap up our first season for 2023. The second season will be released in May. We have lots of exciting guests on deck for our next season. For the month of April, we will highlight our favorite episodes from season one. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our relatable community. We continue to grow our audience and so appreciate all of our listeners who have stayed with us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.